The following pre-recorded program is brought to you by Wrestling with the Inner Man. Welcome to Wrestling with the Inner Man, because the first fight we face each and every day is a fight with our flesh. Do we listen to our selfish, sinful nature or to divine nature guided by the Holy Spirit? Your host, David Savage, is a product of the West Texas desert and energy industry who recently received the biggest promotion of his life, reporting directly to the top boss, God. We hope you're ready to rumble because wrestling with the inner man begins now. Good evening, WWM listeners. Hard to believe we're in June now. But in case you missed it, we had a fantastic show on May 15th, and you can go and listen to this and download it on the uh, uh, the podcast. But it's we had The Soldier Code, The Samurai is the name of that show, where my guest was author Duncan Brannon. We won't rehash it here today, but I do plan to do a series on other warrior cultures Duncan references in his book on spiritual warfare. The name of his book is The Soldier Code, Ancient Warrior Wisdom for Modern-Day Christian Soldiers. So Armed Forces Day was May 21st, and Memorial Day was last Monday, May 30th. So it is only fitting that we honor today's military and spiritual warriors by adding another installment in the series. In today's episode, we'll focus on the Spartan culture. Pastor, author, and voice actor Duncan Brannon, welcome back to Wrestling with the Inner Man. Thank you, David. It's great to be back. And as King Leonidas of the Spartans would say, Molan LeBay, come and take it. Yes, yes. I love that movie. So we'll get into that, the 300. So, uh, so Duncan, I love the way you set the book up, you know, in your introduction, educating the reader on parables, the storytelling style Jesus used to teach his disciples and people of that time. In your book, you state that parables do three things. They sharpen discernment, they give permission, and they offer perspective. Now, you claim that the intention of your book is to mimic the master teacher by using parables and go on to say about your warrior culture illustrations. And this is a little excerpt from the book in these new parable worlds, these ventures into imagination, we have zero attachments. They provide sterile non-threatening environments where our minds can weigh and test hard matters, wrestle with good and evil truth and lies and reach righteous conclusions without consequence. It's perfect. Even more when parables end and their imaginary environments dissolve, the truth, which came cleverly packaged within them, remains. Then, slowly, quietly, our thoughts drift back to our own lives, where applying these uncomfortable truths suddenly prove more palatable. Please share how you chose the Spartan culture as one of your parable illustrations. The the Spartan culture, uh, when you... And I know you, you had mentioned the movie 300 a moment ago, of course, um, which everybody, that's how everybody knows what King Leonidas said about it. But when you really start digging into history, uh, there's there's some really, really fascinating aspects of the Spartan culture that I found that uh, that made some wonderful spiritual ties into the Christian warriors battle here, um, especially in regards to faith and family. Um whether we're talking about worldly entanglements and the, the type of consecration that the Spartans modeled, or we're talking about this visionary approach that they had of raising their children, uh, focusing that, that raising in such a way that they are prepared for the dangers of the world that they will face as they get older, 
um, and on down the line. So, but in the in Spartan history, there was particularly a, a figure, a mythical figure of sorts, a, a very Moses-like figure by the name of Lycurgus the Lawgiver. And in about the mid to late eighth century, uh, Lycurgus was watching his home, his, his beloved home of Sparta, sliding into this pit of decadence and corruption. And hmm. he, so the story goes that he took to the sea. Um, he, he went out searching for wisdom, basically. And after surveying civilizations from, from Crete to as far as Spain and India, uh, and some reports climaxing with a, this meeting with the fortune-telling oracle at Delphi, which is very famous uh, in Greek culture, Lycurgus returned, and he convinced his countrymen to institute a, a series of laws that really changed Sparta. They called it the Megale Retra, these great things, this type of uh, raw reform that he brought. And no sooner had his reforms taken root than Lycurgus kind of disappeared into the sunset, uh, kind of like the, the Old West figure, John Wayne walking off into the sunset. Um, but the most significant of the reforms that he had brought was this type of consecration. Um, Lycurgus banned all Spartans from the pursuit of wealth, and he prescribed that they should be focusing solely on things that make the city safe, that make the city free, uh, and that really tend to build to build up people into uh, this this idealized. Uh, vision that he had. And in fact, Plutarch, when he wrote about this, he said that no one in Sparta lived after their own fancy. They weren't after this kind of American dream thing. The Sparta was more of this kind of military camp. And he said, they just, they saw this so much beneath them did they esteem this frivolous devotion of time and attention to mechanical arts and money-making. Um, Lycurgus bred up his citizens in such a way that they were able to to make themselves one with the public good and wholly devoted to their country. And as we walk this walk this truth over here into Scripture, we see this very Spartanic type charge that Paul gives Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 through 4. He says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. And so right from the beginning, we have Paul talking to Timothy, and we have Jesus saying similar things in his ministry. Hey, you're not here to live the good life, um, pursue after all these riches and wealth and so forth. There is a higher purpose that you were born for. Focus on that. Live like a soldier. Wow. It's funny how history really does repeat itself. I don't know who came up with that, but, you know, just listening, you know, to you describe that and then kind of thinking about how we're living today and the uh, the greed, you know, that's just completely out of control. Well, so in this section of the book, you state, and you mentioned this earlier, the worldly entanglements were beneath the Spartans. Spartans were born for a higher purpose. Picture an anaconda slowly, silently entwining unsuspecting prey crippling movement, constricting respiration, and finally consuming it. Worldly entanglements work their way into Christian life and like manner. And I'm afraid we live in a jungle of worldly entanglements today. So what must we do to free and guard ourselves from these adulterous bedfellows, these 
civilian entanglements, these wrestling opponents? Mm-hmm. Um, I think it, it all comes back to the center points um, in, in relationship and accountability. Jesus never intended us to live life alone as men for women to live their lives alone, for us to just kind of be these islands unto ourselves. We have a, a vision of Christendom and Christianity today, really, of this kind of, you know, me and Jesus walking around versus me and the body of Christ, me and the church of God living life together. And that was the, the picture that he, had, that he had intended from the beginning. Um, so when we start talking about relationship and accountability, let's Let's come back to the, this kind of military metaphor that we look at in the book. If, if we walk into the armed forces, for example, mm-hmm. we've got drill instructors, and, and they conduct these routine inspections to teach soldiers discipline, to safeguard their lives, to ensure that they never lose their missional focus. And these inspections are, are simply pass or fail. And smart soldiers, they prepare for them. Because battlefield failure comes with harsh consequences. Mm-hmm. Repercussions for Christian soldiers, if you think about it, they, they're really no different. They can be very, very serious, and they range from our biblical knowledge and discernment dulling and us getting drawn into temptation and traps of the enemy um, to being unfit and unready for ministry opportunities as they come along. So, we, so we're not ready to be used of God, and we're not ready to meet the enemy when he comes. And, these, and, and over time, these types of ramifications can just continue to build. We can, have, we can start experiencing damage in vital relationships. We can lose credibility in our ministry. We can, you know, if we have a ministry, we can forfeit personal support, financial provision. We can end up losing ministry office, all because we're not living life with relationship and accountability. And yes, we, we live under this covenant of grace as Christians and so forth. But in places like James chapter 5 and verse 16, it says, Confess your sins to one another, your faults to one another, that you may pray for one another and be healed. So he didn't just intend this act of confessing sin and accountability to be lived before, to before himself, the Lord. He intended us to live it with one another where we are sharing our struggles, where we're living in this thing called fellowship and communion and intimate relationship with one another, where we're standing beside each other, fighting for one another, and helping one another when we're struggling in our personal battles with sin, with Satan, with the temptations of the fallen world around us. And this thing's type, this, this, this thing like inspection here, basically, it, it, it involves accountability with one another. And we've got to be willing to meet together to ask the tough questions, to sit down over coffee, um, and, and and while we have this loving fellowship, to just say, how are you doing with that thing that we talked about last time? It could it could have been a struggle with pornography, it could be a gambling addiction or whatever. But we're not going to find freedom if we're not willing to live life openly and ask one another the tougher questions. Man, that's the truth. I know you and I are both big William Grinnell fans, and. You know, mm-hmm. I, I've got his uh, devotional series, and, and just, you know, the last couple of days, it's been about keeping watch and maintaining your preparedness. And, you know, that's that it does seem like, you know, we've just kind of fallen asleep as Christians, you know, not just as Americans, mm-hmm. but as Christians. And, uh, 
you know, maybe we need uh, Lycurgus, you know, to uh, come sailing in, you know, from the ocean and help us. But this is another <laughs> uh, another great quote uh, excerpt, you know, from your book that I loved on the Spartan sector. It says, Lycurgus had dreamt of a day where inhabitants saw themselves as citizens where they stopped looking to the state for welfare and started mm. being the state by serving it, where minds were well. set not upon reaching the top, but reaching out. Most of all, he'd envisioned an age where men assumed their role as consecrated guardians, which you mentioned earlier, the principled walls and of society and gatekeepers of the home. And that's what seems to be crumbling now. So you referenced the movie 300 in the Battle of Thermopylae, where King Leonidas led 300 Spartans in holding off the massive army of King Xerxes at the hot gates using the phalanx technique. So why don't you explain the phalanx to our listeners and how you and Rolana battled at the hot gates for your marriage using a heavenly phalanx? Mm. So by the, by the Battle of Thermopylae, the Battle of Thermopylae was 480 B.C., 480 years before Christ walked the earth, um, is, is when this epic battle took place. One of the most noted in all of uh, historic battles, uh, really because you... It, it, now, contrary to the movie, it wasn't just 300 Spartans. Um, there, there was uh, a certain number of Greeks, probably somewhere around two to 3,000 that were standing with him. But this, this Persian army was massive, um, possibly as much as a million men. Hmm. Um, so but the, by the time the, this battle came to be, Sparta was at their peak in terms of their military prowess. They were known as, as that delta force of their day. And they had perfected this technique called phalanx fighting. And in the, in the phalanx fighting style, the hoplite soldier, the Greek heavy infantry soldier, the mainstay of their army, they stood shoulder to shoulder with overlapping shields. And each sturdy, multi-layered shield, the aspis shield, it was called, was held in the left hand to guard the fellow soldier's right hand, his vulnerable spear arm. So literally, your shield, David, if you were standing next to me in the phalanx, would, gu- would be guarding my vulnerable side. Not yours, but mine. Mm-hmm. So literally, they were depending upon one another. And this, this tightly packed phalanx, it typically ran about eight columns deep. And when bracing for an enemy charge, each row of the phalanx, they would press their shield against their brother warrior's back, while the first three rows poised these eight to nine foot dory spears over the tops of their shields, and which became like this serrated fence of spears. And, and you had with that this synchronized wall of men and metal and muscle. And so literally it was like a tank. Uh, yeah. This, this bulwark of men standing eight rows deep on a battlefield. And so you think about that picture now, how powerful and immovable that picture is and how safe and secure these men would have felt. You've got an enemy charge coming at you, but you're standing in this column eight rows deep, surrounded by armored brother warriors with with shield tips and veterans standing behind you, leaders standing in front of you. Uh, those willing to die standing right beside you and so forth. So this this picture, you can see how powerfully it translates into the Christian experience as we think about standing beside one another in the church. And 
Berlin and I needed that when we when we faced our hot gate experience. Thirteen years into our marriage, um, we we hit our struggle, and it was after you know years of Rolanda living with a wounded husband. I was I was a minister, but I had come in as a believer in Christ with still a number of struggles of old wounds from an abused childhood. Things that I had sought ministry for previously, but but just never gotten a full-fledged healing from and and really a renewal in my mind from them. So wasn't a situation where we endured physical abuse in, in our marriage where, you know, I cussed at Milano or there was sexual abuse or things like that. It was, I was an angry husband. I would get frustrated. I would get fearful quickly when the chips were down, when, you know, bills were tight and things like that. And so my anger manifested in these, you know, in, you know, yelling out and just, you know, just getting angry, slamming a door, but it created a very tense atmosphere and 13 years into our marriage you know, Rolanda was in this very isolated place, and she opened up and shared uh, about this with me one night. And when she did, I knew that we were in a fight that was beyond our ability to stand. We we needed a phalanx around us. And I referenced James 5.16 earlier. You know, it says in that chapter, confess your faults to one another. Well, as that as that passage begins, James says, hey, if you are sick, and it's, it means literally that word eomai, in the Greek there, it means a, not just a, a physical sickness, but it could mean a spiritual or emotional sickness. And I knew our marriage was emotionally sick, and so I reached out to the elders of our church first. Our elders then began to, to meet with us. They prayed over us, and then they committed us to a season of sabbatical, and then they um, got us involved in marital counseling. And pretty soon, God really hemmed us in with a failings. We had elders standing behind us and praying for us. We had other brothers and sisters that we were living life beside every day, sharing our struggles with what we were processing and dealing with at the time. And then we had other brothers, sister warriors in Christ who had already fought for their marriages. They had already won this type of battle previously. And we had them as teaching models. We had them as people that we were listening to their 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 teaching their teachings in church their teaching series that they had released on CDs and things like this and so really before I even fully realized that this is the model that I, that, that that God was employing um, it it was happening it was a very sovereign it was a very beautiful work but it happened as we submitted to scripture and and to God's processes God's the one who helped build that failing around us really man that's just a beautiful picture because you know, it's the tank, you know, that you describe it to have the heavenly tank around you. And that's what we need today, man. We sure we sure need it after things, you know, that have been happening uh, recently in the news. But uh, again, from the book, we you know, when when Xerxes ordered the Spartans hand over your arms, the Unitas replied, come and take them in an equal show of valor on hearing that the Persian arrows raining down on them would be so vast as to blot out the sun. The Spartan Dionysus replied. So much the better. We shall fight them in the shade. I just love that, man, because I'm from West Texas. And I know it's like, yeah, so, so, uh, so you asked this question yourself following that excerpt. And it's the question I asked to our listeners to society today. Where is the thunder in Christendom today when hell threatens us or our fallen world presses against our shield? How can we as Christians summon up the Spartan blood in us 
and rise to be the gatekeepers God intends for us to be and for our families in his kingdom. Why don't you finish us off with that? I think there's two things here. One, uh, it is getting the word deep down inside of us, the word of God. But number two, it is learning that we cannot stand alone, that we, we need to stand in the failings of Christian fellowship, the failings of the church of Jesus Christ. When, when Peter was answered by Jesus um, in Matthew chapter 16, after asking that question, who do people say that I am? And Peter said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered him. He said, that's right, Simon Bar-Jonah. Flesh and blood didn't show you that, but my Father who is in heaven. And upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus made it clear that we were going to make our Thermopylae-type stand in Christendom not alone, but with his church locked in fellowship. And when we face the world pressing us into its mold, of temptation, whether it's lust, whether it's pride, whether it's this, you know, the, the dream of pursuing wealth, whether it's fear, whether it's something in the political realm, whatever it may be, we have to learn to stand together as believers, and we have to go back to the Word of God. We have amazing testimonies in the Word of God, like like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel chapter 3, 16 through 18, when you have Nebuchadnezzar, this dictator of the day, the Babylonian dictator, looking at them and threatening them, saying, you bow down before this golden idol that I have made. You worship it like all the other people, or I'm going to toss you into a fiery furnace. They, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they didn't hesitate. They didn't stutter. They said, if, if we're thrown into this, into this blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us, and he will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, Your Majesty, <laughs> that we will never serve your gods or worship the golden statue that you have set up. And so we see these guys, these three just gritty believers of their day, standing like Ecclesiastes 4.12 says, like a triple-braided cord. And it, as they took that stand together, they gave one another courage. They galvanized one another into this this hot gates type stand and that's what we have to do when it's a marriage that's failing when it's a child uh, that's in trouble when it's an issue in our society we have to take the stand together and if we will do that we can become that wall of shield that wall of spartan men and women yes that lycurgus had that vision of yeah. and that christ quite frankly had that vision up. Well, Duncan, what a great episode. Again, you know, time just goes by so quickly when we're talking, but thank you for your <laughs> personal testimony and sharing how we can resist worldly entanglements as well as stand against evil and overwhelming odds, just as the Spartans did at Thermopylae. So we'll have you back again to discuss Berserk Vikings next time. Um, everyone loves a good war story, and I'm excited about how this series can help the men out there wrestling with so many tough issues today. So stay strong. Why don't you tell us real quick where we can get the book, The Soldier Code? Um, they can hop on uh, Amazon, of course, and buy it there. The Soldier Code, Ancient Warrior Wisdom for Modern-Day Christian Soldiers is the title. Or they can visit me on the website, thesoldiercode.com. All right. Well, when all seems lost, remember there are people and companies like Prism Specialties in the restoration business. Whether it's your electronics, textiles, or artwork that may be damaged, PRISM can help you restore and recover those valuables. 
Please email us at wrestlingwiththeinnerman at gmail.com to offer input, suggestions, or feedback on any future programming. And I'll just close real quickly with a prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for Duncan and for this message of how we need to be the phalanx for one another as Christians in family and community to resist. And it has to be at that small individual interface where people can trust and share with one another. And that is the family, the family of God. And we just thank you for his word, his book. And we ask that you would bless his ministry in it. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. AM 1070, The Answer, Wrestling with the Inner Man. Thanks for listening to Wrestling with the Inner Man. With David Savage, we believe the winners in this ring courageously follow God's word, love and protect God's woman, excel at God's work, batters God's world and his children. For more information, reach out to David at wrestlingwiththeinnerman at gmail.com. That's wrestlingwiththeinnerman at gmail.com. Tune in next time as Wrestling with the Inner Man tackles more tough topics to train up a generation of better men.